0: File number sixteen of Farthest North, volume one. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sharon Riskedal. Farthest North by Fridtjof Nansen, volume one. Chapter seven. The Spring and Summer of eighteen ninety four. Part two. While time was passing on, the plan I had been revolving in my mind during the winter was ever uppermost in my thoughts the plan that is to say of exploring the unknown sea apart from the track in which the fram was drifting i kept an anxious eye upon the dogs for fear anything should happen to them and also to see that they continued in good condition for all my hopes centred in them Several of them, indeed, had been bitten to death, and two had been killed by bears, but there were still twenty-six remaining, and as a set-off against our losses we had the puppies, eight of which had been permitted to live. As spring advanced they were allowed to roam the deck, but on May 5th their world was considerably extended. I wrote thus in the afternoon we let the puppies loose on the ice and kvik at once took long expeditions with them to familiarize them with their surroundings first she introduced them to our meteorological apparatus then to the bear trap and after that to different pressure mounds They were very cautious at first, staring timidly all around, and venturing out very slowly, a step at a time from the ship's side, but soon they began to run riot in their newly discovered world. Kvick was very proud to conduct her litter out into the world, and roamed about in the highest of spirits, though she had only just returned from a long-driving expedition, in which, as usual, she had done good work in harness. In the afternoon, one of the black and white puppies had an attack of madness. It ran round the ship, barking furiously. The others set on it, and it bit at everything that came in its way. At last, we got it shut in on the deck forward, where it was furious for a while, then quieted down, and now seems to be all right again. This makes the fourth that has had a similar attack. What can it possibly be? It cannot be hydrophobia or it would have appeared among the grown-up dogs. Can it be toothache, or hereditary epilepsy, or some other infernal thing? Unfortunately, several of them died from these strange attacks. The puppies were such fine, nice animals, that we were all very sorry when a thing like this occurred. On June 3rd, I write, Another of the puppies died in the forenoon from one of those mysterious attacks, and I cannot conceal from myself that I take it greatly to heart and feel low-spirited about it. I have been so used to these small polar creatures living their sorrowless life on deck, romping and playing around us from morning to evening and a little bit of the night as well. I can watch them with pleasure by the hour together, or play with them as little children have a game at hide-and-seek with them, round the skylight, while they are beside themselves with glee. It is the largest and strongest of the lot that has just died, a handsome dog. I called him Lova, Lion. He was such a confiding, gentle animal, and so affectionate. Only yesterday he was jumping and playing about and rubbing himself against me, and today he is dead. Our ranks are thinning and the worst of it is we try in vain to make out what it is that ails them. This one was apparently quite in his normal condition and as cheerful as ever until his breakfast was given him. Then he began to cry and tear round, yelping and barking as if distracted, just as the others had done. After this convulsion set in, and the froth poured from his mouth. One of these convulsions, no doubt, carried him off blessing and i held a post-mortem upon him in the afternoon but we could discover no signs of anything unusual it does not seem to be an infectious ailment i cannot understand it Yulenka too the handsomest dog in the whole pack our consolation and our hope suddenly became ill the other day It was the morning of May 24th that we found it paralyzed and quite helpless, lying in its cask on deck. It kept trying to get up, but couldn't, and immediately fell down again, just like a man who has had a stroke and has lost all power over his limbs. It was at once put to bed in a box and nursed most carefully, except for being unable to walk it is apparently quite well. It must have been a kind of apoplectic seizure that attacked the spinal cord in some spot or other and paralyzed one side of the body. The dog recovered slowly, but never got the complete use of its legs again. It accompanied us, however, on our subsequent sledge expedition. The dogs did not seem to like the summer. It was so wet on the ice and so warm. On June 11th I write, TODAY THE POOLS ON THE ICE ALL ROUND US HAVE INCREASED WONDERFULLY IN SIZE, AND IT IS BY NO MEANS AGREEABLE TO GO OFF THE SHIP WITH SHOES THAT ARE NOT WATER-TIGHT. IT IS WETTER AND WETTER FOR THE DOGS IN THE DAYTIME, AND THEY SWEAT MORE AND MORE FROM THE HEAT, THOUGH IT AS YET ONLY RARELY RISES ABOVE ZERO. A FEW DAYS AGO THEY WERE SHIFTED ON TO THE ICE, WHERE TWO LONG KENNELS WERE SET UP FOR THEM. They were made out of boxes, and really consist of only a wall and a roof. Here they spend the greater part of the twenty-four hours, and we are now rid of all uncleanliness on board, except for the four puppies which still remain, and lead a glorious life of it up there between sleep and play. Yulenka is still on deck, and is slowly recovering. There is the same daily routine for the dogs as in the winter. WE LET THEM LOOSE IN THE MORNING ABOUT HALF-PAST EIGHT, AND AS THE TIME FOR THEIR RELEASE DRAWS NEAR, THEY BEGIN TO GET VERY IMPATIENT. EVERY TIME ANYONE SHOWS HIMSELF ON DECK, A WILD chorus OF HOWLS ISSUES FROM TWENTY-SIX THROATS, CLAMOURING FOR FOOD AND FREEDOM. AFTER BEING LET LOOSE, THEY GET THEIR BREAKFAST, CONSISTING OF HALF-A-DRIED FISH OR THREE BISCUITS APIECE the rest of the forenoon is spent in rooting round among all the refuse heaps they can find and they gnaw and lick all the empty tin cases which they have ransacked hundreds of times before if the cook sends a fresh tin dancing along the ice a battle immediately rages around the prize It often happens that one or another of them trying to get at a tempting piece of fat at the bottom of a deep, narrow tin, sticks his head so far down into it that the tin sits fast and he cannot release himself again. So with this extinguisher on his head he sprawls about blindly over the ice, indulging in the most wonderful antics in the effort to get rid of it, to the great amusement of us, the spectators.' When tired of their work at the rubbish heaps, they stretch out their round, sausage-like bodies, panting in the sun if there is any, and if it is too warm, they get into the shade. They are tied up again before dinner, but Pan and others like-minded sneak away a little before that time, and hide up behind a hummock, so that one can see only a head or an ear sticking up here and there." Should anyone go to fetch him in, he will probably growl, show his teeth, or even snap. After which, he will lie flat down and allow himself to be dragged off to prison. The remainder of the twenty four hours they spend sleeping, puffing, and panting in the excessive heat, which, by the way, is two degrees of cold. Every now and then they set up a chorus of howls that certainly must be heard in Siberia, and quarrel amongst themselves till the fur flies in all directions. This removal of the dogs onto the ice has imposed upon the watch the arduous duty of remaining on deck at nights, which was not the practice before. But a bear having once been on board and taken off two of our precious animals, we don't want any more such visitors." On July 31st, Kvick again increased our population by bringing eleven puppies into the world, one of which was deformed and was at once killed. Two others died later, but most of them grew up and became fine, handsome animals. They are still living. Few or no incidents occurred during this time, except, naturally, the different red-letter days were celebrated with great ceremony, May 17th we observed with special pomp the following description of which I find in my journal. Friday, May 18th. May 17th was celebrated yesterday with all possible festivity. In the morning we were awakened with organ music, the enlivening strains of the college hornpipe. After this a splendid breakfast off smoked salmon, ox-tongues, etc., etc., The whole ship's company wore bows of ribbon in honor of the day. Even old Suggan had one round his tail. The wind whistled, and the Norwegian flag floated on high, fluttering bravely at the masthead. About eleven o'clock, the company assembled with their banners on the ice on the port side of the ship, and the procession arranged itself in order. First of all came the leader of the expedition with the pure Norwegian flag. After him Sverdrup with the Fram's pennant, which with its Fram on a red background, three fathoms long, looked splendid. Next came a dog-sledge, with the band, Johansen with the accordion, and Mogstead as coachman. After them came the mate, with rifles and harpoons, Henriksen carrying a long harpoon, then Amundsen and Nordahl with a red banner. THE DOCTOR FOLLOWED WITH A DEMONSTRATION FLAG IN FAVOR OF A NORMAL WORKING DAY. IT CONSISTED OF A WOOLLEN JERSEY WITH THE LETTERS N.A. EMBROIDERED ON THE BREAST, AND AT THE TOP OF A VERY LONG POLE IT LOOKED MOST IMPRESSIVE. AFTER HIM FOLLOWED OUR CHEF, Ewell WITH PEAK SAUCEPAN ON HIS BACK. And then came the meteorologists, with a curious apparatus, consisting of a large tin scutcheon, across which was fastened a red band, with the letters A.L.S.T., signifying Almindeleg Stemmeret, or Universal Suffrage. At last the procession began to move on. The dogs marched demurely, as if they had never done anything else in all their lives than walk in procession, and the band played a magnificent festive march, not composed for the occasion. The stately cortege marched twice round the Fram, after which, with great solemnity, it moved off in the direction of the large hummock, and was photographed on the way by the photographer of the expedition. At the hummock a hearty cheer was given for the Fram, which had brought us hither so well, and which would doubtless take us equally well home again. After this the procession turned back, cutting across the Fram's bow. At the port gangway a halt was called, and the photographer, mounting the bridge, made a speech in honor of the day. This was succeeded by a thundering salute, consisting of six shots, the result of which was that five or six of the dogs rushed off over hummocks and pressure ridges, and hid themselves for several hours. Meanwhile we went down into the cozy cabin, decorated with flags for the occasion, in a right festive manner, where we partook of a splendid dinner, preluded by a lovely valse. The menu was as follows minced fish with curried lobster melted butter and potatoes music pork cutlets with green peas potatoes mango chutney and worcester sauce music apricots and custard with cream much music after this a siesta then coffee currants figs cakes and the photographer stood cigars great enthusiasm then more siesta after supper the violinist mogstad gave a recital when refreshments were served in the shape of figs sweetmeats apricots and gingerbread honey cakes on the whole a charming and very successful seventeenth of may especially considering that we had passed the eighty-first degree of latitude monday may twenty eighth ugh i am tired of these endless white plains cannot even be bothered snowshoeing over them not to mention that the lanes stop one on every hand day and night i pace up and down the deck along the ice by the ship's sides revolving the most elaborate scientific problems for the past few days it is especially the shifting of the pole that has fascinated me i am beset by the idea that the tidal wave along with the unequal distribution of land and sea must have a disturbing effect on the situation of the earth's axis. When such an idea gets into one's head, it is no easy matter to get it out again. After pondering over it for several days, I have finally discovered that the influence of the moon on the sea must be sufficient to cause a shifting of the pole to the extent of one minute in 800,000 years. In order to account for the European Glacial Age, which was my main object, I must shift the pole at least ten or twenty degrees. This leaves an uncomfortably wide interval of time since that period, and shows that the human race must have attained a respectable age. Of course it is all nonsense, but while I am indefatigably tramping the deck in a brown study, imagining myself no end of a great thinker, I suddenly discover that my thoughts are at home where all is summer and loveliness and those i have left are busy building castles in the air for the day when i shall return yes yes i spend rather too much time on this sort of thing but the drift goes as slowly as ever and the wind the all-powerful wind is still the same the first thing my eyes look for when i set foot on deck in the morning is the weathercock on the mizzen top to see how the wind lies. Thither they are forever straying during the whole day, and there again they rest, the last thing before I turn in. But it ever points in the same direction, west and southwest, and we drift now quicker, now more slowly westwards, and only a little to the north. I have no doubt now about the success of the expedition, and my miscalculation was not so great after all but i scarcely think we shall drift higher than eighty-five degrees even if we do that it will depend on how far franz josef land extends to the north in that case it will be hard to give up reaching the pole it is in reality a mere matter of vanity merely child's play in comparison with what we are doing and hoping to do And yet I must confess that I am foolish enough to want to take in the pole while I am about it, and shall probably have a try at it if we get into its neighborhood within any reasonable time. This is a mild May. The temperature has been about zero several times of late, and one can walk up and down and almost imagine oneself at home. There are seldom more than a few degrees of cold, but the summer fogs are beginning with occasional hoar-frost. As a rule, however, the sky with its light, fleeting clouds is almost like a spring sky in the south. We notice, too, that it has become milder on board. We no longer need to light a fire in the stove to make ourselves warm and cozy, though indeed we have never indulged in much luxury in this respect. In the storeroom, The rime-frost and ice that had settled on the ceiling and walls are beginning to melt, and in the compartments astern of the saloon and in the hold we have been obliged to set about a grand cleaning up, scraping off and sweeping away the ice and rime to save our provisions from taking harm, through the damp, penetrating the wrappings and rusting holes in the tin cases." We have, moreover, for a long time, kept the hatchways in the hold open, so that there has been a thorough draught through it, and a good deal of the rime has evaporated. It is remarkable how little damp we have on board. No doubt this is due to the Fram's solid construction, and to the deck over the hold being panelled on the underside. I am getting fonder and fonder of this ship." Saturday june ninth Our politician Amundsen is celebrating the day with a white shirt and collar. Today I have moved with my work up into the deck house again, where I can sit and look out of the window in the daytime and feel that I am living in the world and not in a cavern, where one must have lamplight night and day. I intend remaining here as long as possible out into the winter. It is so cozy and quiet, and the monotonous surroundings are not constantly forcing themselves in upon me. I really have the feeling that summer has come. I can pace up and down the deck by the hour together with the sun, or stand still and roast myself in it, while I smoke a pipe and my eyes glide over the confused masses of snow and ice." The snow is everywhere wet now, and pools are beginning to form every here and there. The ice, too, is getting more and more permeated with salt water. If one bores ever so small a hole in it, it is at once filled with water. The reason, of course, is that owing to the rise in the temperature, the particles of salt contained in the ice begin to melt their surroundings, and more and more water is formed with a good admixture of salt in it so that its freezing point is lower than the temperature of the ice around it. This, too, had risen materially. At about 4 feet depth, it is only 25.2 degrees Fahrenheit, minus 3.8 degrees Celsius. At 5 feet, it is somewhat warmer again, 26.5 degrees Fahrenheit, minus 3.1 degrees Celsius. Sunday, June 10th. Oddly enough, we have had no cases of snow-blindness on board, with the exception of the doctor, who a couple of days ago, after we had been playing at ball, got a touch of it in the evening. The tears poured from his eyes for some time, but he soon recovered. Rather a humiliating trick of fate that he should be the first to suffer from this ailment subsequently we had a few isolated cases of slight snow-blindness so that one or two of our men had to go about with dark spectacles but it was of little importance and was due to their not thinking it worth while to take the necessary precautions monday june eleventh to-day i made a joyful discovery i thought i had begun my last bundle of cigars and calculated that by smoking one a day they would last a month, but found quite unexpectedly a whole box in my locker. Great rejoicing! It will help to while away a few more months, and where shall we be then? Poor fellow, you are really at a low ebb. To while away time, that is an idea that has scarcely ever entered your head before." it has always been your great trouble that time flew away so fast and now it cannot go fast enough to please you and then so addicted to tobacco you wrap yourself in clouds of smoke to indulge in your everlasting day-dreams hark to the south wind how it whistles in the rigging it is quite inspiriting to listen to it on midsummer eve we ought of course to have had a bonfire as usual BUT FROM MY DIARY IT DOES NOT SEEM TO HAVE BEEN THE SORT OF WEATHER FOR IT. SATURDAY, JUNE twenty-third, 1894 MID THE SHADY VALES AND THE LEAFY TREES, HOW SWEET THE APPROACH OF THE SUMMER BREEZE, WHEN THE MOUNTAIN SLOPES IN THE SUNLIGHT GLEAM, AND THE EVE OF ST. JOHN COMES IN LIKE A DREAM. THE NORTH WIND CONTINUES WITH SLEET, GLOOMY WEATHER, DRIFTING SOUTH eighty-one degrees forty-three minutes north latitude that is nine minutes southward since monday i have seen many midsummer eves under different skies but never such a one as this so far far from all that one associates with this evening i think of the merriment round the bonfires at home Hear the scraping of the fiddle, the peals of laughter, and the salvos of the guns, with the echoes answering from the purple-tinted heights. And then I look out over this boundless white expanse into the fog and sleet and the driving wind. Here is truly no trace of midsummer merriment. It is a gloomy lookout altogether. Midsummer is past, and now the days are shortening again, and the long night of winter approaching, which, maybe, will find us as far advanced as it left us. I was busily engaged with my examination of the salinity of the sea-water this afternoon, when Mogstead stuck his head in at the door and said that a bear must be prowling about in the neighborhood. On returning after dinner to their work at the great hummock, where they were busy making an ice-cellar for fresh meat, the men found bear-tracks which were not there before. I put on my snow-shoes and went after it. But what terrible going it had been the last few days! Soft slush in which the snowshoes sink helplessly. The bear had come from the west, right up to the Fram, had stopped and inspected the work that was going on, had then retreated a little, made a considerable detour, and set off eastwards at its easy shambling gait without deigning to pay any further attention to such a trifle as a ship it had rummaged about in every hole and corner where there seemed to be any chance of finding food and had rooted in the snow after anything the dogs had left or whatever else it might be It had then gone to the lanes in the ice, and skirted them carefully, no doubt in the hope of finding a seal or two, and after that it had gone off between the hummocks and overflows, with a surface of nothing but slush and water. Had the surface been good, I should no doubt have overtaken Master Bruin, but he had too long a start in the slushy snow. A dismal, dispiriting landscape, nothing but white and grey— no shadows merely half-obliterated forms melting into the fog and slush everything is in a state of disintegration and one's foothold gives way at every step it is hard work for the poor snowshoeer who stamps along through the slush and fog after bear tracks that wind in and out among the hummocks or over them The snowshoes sink deep in, and the water often reaches up to the ankles, so that it is hard work to get them up or to force them forward, but without them one would be still worse off. Every here and there this monotonous grayish whiteness is broken by the coal-black water, which winds in narrower or broader lanes in between the high hummocks. White snow-laden floes and lumps of ice float on the dark surface, looking like white marble on a black ground. Occasionally there is a larger dark-colored pool, where the wind gets a hold of the water and forms small waves that ripple and plash against the edge of the ice, the only signs of life in this desert tract. It is like an old friend the sound of these playful wavelets, and here too they eat away the floes and hollow out their edges one could almost imagine oneself in more southern latitudes but all around is wreathed with ice towering aloft in its ever-varying fantastic forms in striking contrast to the dark water on which a moment before the eye had rested everlastingly is this shifting ice modeling as it were in pure gray marble and with nature's lavish prodigality strewing around the most glorious statuary which perishes without any eye having seen it wherefore to what end all this shifting pageant of loveliness it is governed by the mere caprices of nature following out those everlasting laws that pay no heed to what we regard as aims and objects. In front of me towers one pressure ridge after another, with lane after lane between. It was in June the Jeanette was crushed and sank. What if the Fram were to meet her fate here? No, the ice will not get the better of her. Yet, if it should, in spite of everything— As I stood gazing around me, I remembered it was Midsummer Eve. Far away yonder her masts pointed aloft, half lost to view in the snowy haze. They must indeed have stout hearts, those fellows on board that craft, stout hearts, or else blind faith in a man's word. It is all very well that he who has hatched a plan, be it never so wild, should go with it to carry it out. HE NATURALLY DOES HIS BEST FOR THE CHILD TO WHICH HIS THOUGHTS HAVE GIVEN BIRTH. BUT THEY, THEY HAD NO CHILD TO TEND, AND COULD, WITHOUT FEELING ANY YEARNING, balked HAVE REFRAINED FROM TAKING PART IN AN EXPEDITION LIKE THIS. WHY SHOULD ANY HUMAN BEING RENOUNCE LIFE TO BE WIPED OUT HERE? SUNDAY, JUNE 24TH, THE ANNIVERSARY OF OUR DEPARTURE FROM HOME. NORTHERLY WIND, STILL DRIFTING SOUTH observations to-day gave eighty-one degrees forty-one minutes seven seconds north latitude so we are not going at breakneck speed it has been a long year a great deal has been gone through in it though we are quite as far advanced as i had anticipated i am sitting and look out of the window at the snow whirling round in eddies as it is swept along by the north wind a strange midsummer day One might think we had had enough of snow and ice. I am not, however, exactly pining after green fields, at all events not always. On the contrary, I find myself sitting by the hour laying plans for other voyages into the ice after our return from this one. Yes, I know what I have attained, and more or less what awaits me. It is all very well for me to sketch plans for the future, but those at home— no i am not any humor for writing this evening i will turn in wednesday july eleventh latitude eighty one degrees eighteen minutes eight seconds at last the southerly wind has returned so there is an end of drifting south for the present now i am almost longing for the polar night for the everlasting wonderland of the stars with the spectral northern lights and the moon sailing through the profound silence it is like a dream like a glimpse into the realms of fantasy there are no forms no cumbrous reality only a vision woven of silver and violet ether rising up from earth and floating out into infinity But this eternal day, with its oppressive actuality, interests me no longer, does not entice me out of my lair. Life is one incessant hurrying from one task to another. Everything must be done and nothing neglected, day after day, week after week, and the working day is long, seldom ending till far over midnight. But through it all runs the same sensation of longing and emptiness which must not be noted. Ah, but at times there is no holding it aloof, and the hands sink down without will or strength, so weary, so unutterably weary. Ah, life's peace is said to be found by holy men in the desert. Here, indeed, there is desert enough, but peace? Of that I know nothing. I suppose it is the holiness that is lacking. Wednesday, July 18th. Went on excursion with Blessing in the forenoon to collect specimens of the brown snow and ice and gather seaweed and diatoms in the water. The upper surface of the floes is nearly everywhere of a dirty brown color, or at least this sort of ice preponderates, while pure white floes, without any traces of a dirty brown on their surface, are rare i imagined this brown color must be due to the organisms i found in the newly frozen brownish-red ice last autumn october but the specimens i took today consist for the most part of mineral dust mingled with diatoms and other ingredients of organic origin blessing collected several specimens on the upper surface of the ice earlier in the summer and came to the same conclusions I must look farther into this, in order to see whether all this brown dust is of a mineral nature and consequently originates from the land. We found in the lanes quantities of algae like what we had often found previously. There were large accumulations of them in nearly every little channel. We could also see that a brown surface layer spread itself on the sides of the flows far down into the water. This is due to an algae that grows on the ice. There were also floating in the water a number of small, viscid lumps, some white, some of a yellowish-red color, and of these I collected several. Under the microscope they all appeared to consist of accumulations of diatoms, among which, moreover, were a number of larger cellular organisms of a very characteristic appearance. All of these diatomous accumulations kept at a certain depth, about a yard below the surface of the water. In some of the small lanes, they appeared in large masses. At the same depth, the above-named algae seemed especially to flourish, while parts of it rose up to the surface. It was evident that these accumulations of diatoms and algae remained floating exactly at the depth where the upper stratum of fresh water rests on the sea-water. The water on the surface was entirely fresh, and the masses of diatoms sank in it, but floated on reaching the salt water below. Thursday, July 19th. It is as I expected. I am beginning to know the ways of the wind up here pretty well now. After having blown a windmill breeze, to-day it falls calm in the evening, and to-morrow we shall probably have wind from the west or northwest. Yesterday evening the last cigar out of the old box, and now I have smoked the first out of the last box I have got. We were to have got so far by the time that box was finished, but are scarcely any further advanced than when I began it. AND GOODNESS KNOWS IF WE SHALL BE THAT WHEN THIS TOO HAS DISAPPEARED. BUT ENOUGH OF THAT. SMOKE AWAY. SUNDAY, JULY twenty-second, THE NORTHWEST WIND DID NOT COME QUITE UP TO TIME. ON FRIDAY WE HAD NORTHEAST INSTEAD, AND DURING THE NIGHT IT GRADUALLY WENT ROUND TO NORTH-NORTHEAST, AND YESTERDAY FORENOON IT BLEW DUE NORTH. TODAY IT HAS ENDED IN THE WEST, THE OLD WELL-KNOWN QUARTER OF WHICH WE HAVE HAD MORE THAN ENOUGH. This evening the line shows about northwest to north and it is strong so we are moving south again i pass the day at the microscope i am now busied with the diatoms and algae of all kinds that grow on the ice in the uppermost fresh stratum of the sea these are undeniably most interesting things a whole new world of organisms that are carried off by the ice from known shores across the unknown polar sea there to awaken every summer and develop into life and bloom. Yes, it is very interesting work, but yet there is not that same burning interest as of old, although the scent of oil of cloves, Canada balsam, and wood oil awakens many dear reminiscences of that quiet laboratory at home, and every morning as I come in here the microscope and glasses and colors on the table invite me to work. But though I work indefatigably day after day till late in the night, it is mostly duty work, and I am not sorry, when it is finished, to go and lie for some few hours in my berth reading a novel and smoking a cigar. With what exultation would I not throw the whole aside, spring up, and lay hold of real life, fighting my way over ice and sea with sledges, boats, or kayaks? It is more than true that it is easy to live a life of battle. But here there is neither storm nor battle, and I thirst after them. I long to enlist titanic forces and fight my way forward. That would be living. But what pleasure is there in strength when there is nothing for it to do? Here we drift forward, and here we drift back, and now we have been two months on the same spot." "'Everything, however, is being got ready for a possible expedition "'or for the contingency of its becoming necessary to abandon the ship. "'All the hand sledges are lashed together "'and the iron fittings carefully seen to. Six dog sledges are also being made, "'and tomorrow we shall begin building kayaks ready for the men. "'They are easy to draw on hand sledges "'in case of a retreat over the ice without the ship.' For a beginning we are making kayaks to hold two men each i intend to have them about 12 feet long 3 feet wide and 18 inches in depth six of these are to be made they are to be covered with seal skin or sailcloth and to be decked all over except for two holes one for each man i feel that we have or rather shall have everything needful for a brilliant retreat sometimes i seem almost to be longing for a defeat a decisive one so that we might have a chance of showing what is in us and putting an end to this irksome inactivity monday july thirtieth westerly wind with northwesterly by way of a pleasant variety such is our daily fare week after week on coming up in the morning i no longer care to look at the weather cock on the masthead or at the line in the water for i know beforehand that the former points east or southeast and the line in the contrary direction and that we are ever bearing to the southeast yesterday it was 81 degrees 7 minutes north latitude the day before 81 degrees 11 minutes And last monday july 25th eighty one degrees twenty six minutes but it occupies my thoughts no longer i know well enough there will be a change some time or other and the way to the stars leads through adversity i have found a new world and that is the world of animal and plant life that exists in almost every fresh water pool on the ice floes, from morning till evening until late in the night i am absorbed with the microscope and see nothing around me i live with these tiny beings in their separate universe where they are born and die generation after generation where they pursue each other in the struggle for life and carry on their love affairs with the same feelings, the same sufferings, and the same joys that permeate every living being. From these microscopic animalcules up to man, self-preservation and propagation, that is the whole story. Fiercely as we human beings struggle to push our way on through the labyrinth of life, Their struggles are assuredly no less fierce than ours, one incessant, restless, hurrying to and fro, pushing all others aside to burrow out for themselves what is needful to them, and as to love, only mark with what passion they seek each other out. With all our brain cells we do not feel more strongly than they, never live so entirely for a sensation. But what is life? what matters the individual suffering, so long as the struggle goes on. And these are small, one-celled lumps of viscous matter, teeming in thousands and millions on nearly every single flow over the whole of this boundless sea, which we are apt to regard as the realm of death. Mother Nature has a remarkable power of producing life everywhere. Even this ice is a fruitful soil for her in the evening a little variety occurred in our uneventful existence johansen having discovered a bear to the southeast of the ship but out of range it had no doubt been prowling about for some time while we were below at supper and had been quite near us but being alarmed by some sound or other had gone off eastwards sverdrup and i set out after it but to no purpose the lanes hindered us too much and moreover a fog came on so that we had to return after having gone a good distance the world of organisms i above alluded to was the subject of special research through the short summer and in many respects was quite remarkable when the sun's rays had gained power on the surface of the ice and melted the snow so that pools were formed There was soon to be seen at the bottom of these pools small yellowish-brown spots, so small that at first one hardly noticed them. Day by day they increased in size, and absorbing, like all dark substances, the heat of the sun's rays, they gradually melted the underlying ice and formed round cavities, often several inches deep. These brown spots were the above-mentioned algae and diatoms. They developed speedily in the summer light, and would fill the bottoms of the cavities with a thick layer. But there were not plants only. The water also teemed with swarms of animalcules, mostly infusoria and Flagellata, which subsisted on the plants. I actually found bacteria. Even these regions are not free from them. But I could not always remain chained by the microscope, sometimes when the fine weather tempted me irresistibly i had to go out and bake myself in the sun and imagine myself in norway saturday august fourth lovely weather yesterday and today light fleecy clouds sailing high aloft through the sparkling azure sky filling one's soul with longings to soar as high and as free as they i have just been out on deck this evening one could almost imagine oneself at home by the fjord. Saturday evening's peace seemed to rest on the scene and on one's soul. Our sailmakers Fairdrip AND Amundsen have today finished covering the first double kayak with sailcloth. Fully equipped, it weighs thirty point five kilos, sixty pounds. I think it will prove a first-rate contrivance. Sverdrup and I tried it on a pool. It carried us splendidly, and was so stiff that even sitting on the deck we could handle it quite comfortably. It will easily carry two men with full equipment for one hundred days. A handier or more practical craft for regions like this I cannot well imagine. Sunday, August 5th, 81 degrees, 7.3 minutes north latitude i can't forget the sparkling fjord when the church boat rose in the morning brilliant summer weather i bathe in the sun and dream i am at home either on the high mountains or heaven knows why on the fjords of the west coast the same white fleecy clouds in the clear blue summer sky heaven arches itself overhead like a perfect dome there is nothing to bar one's way and the soul rises up unfettered beneath it what matters it that the world below is different the ice no longer single glittering glaciers but spread out on every hand is it not these same fleecy clouds far away in the blue expanse that the eye looks for at home on a bright summer day sailing on these fancy steers its course to the land of wistful longing and it is just at these glittering glaciers in the distance that we direct our longing gaze why should not a summer day be as lovely here ah yes it is lovely pure as a dream without desire without sin a poem of clear white sunbeams refracted in the cool crystal blue of the ice how unutterably delightful does not this world appear to us on some stifling summer day at home have rested and kept sunday i could not remain in the whole day so took a long trip over the ice progress is easy except for the lanes hansen practised kayak paddling this afternoon on the pool around the ship from which several channels diverge over the ice but he was not content with paddling round in them but must of course make an experiment in capsizing and recovering himself as the eskimos do it ended by his not coming up again, losing his paddle, remaining head downwards in the water, and beating about with his hands till the kayak filled, and he got a cold bath from top to toe. Nordal, who was standing by on the ice to help him, at last found it necessary to go in after him and raise him up on an even keel again, to the great amusement of us others. One can notice that it is summer. THIS EVENING A GAME OF CARDS IS BEING PLAYED ON DECK, WITH PEAK'S BIG POT FOR A CARD-TABLE. ONE COULD ALMOST THINK IT WAS AN AUGUST EVENING AT HOME. ONLY THE TODDY IS WANTING, BUT THE PIPES AND CIGARS WE HAVE. SUNDAY, AUGUST 12TH. WE HAD A SHOOTING COMPETITION IN THE FORENOON. A GLORIOUS EVENING. I TOOK A STROLL OVER THE ICE AMONG THE LANES AND hummocks. IT WAS SO WONDERFULLY CALM AND STILL. Not a sound to be heard, but the drip, drip of water from a block of ice, and the dull sound of a snow-slip from some hummock in the distance. The sun is low down in the north, and overhead is the pale blue dome of heaven with gold-edged clouds. The profound peace of the arctic solitudes. My thoughts fly free and far. If one could only give utterance to all that stirs one's soul on such an evening as this, WHAT AN INCOMPREHENSIBLE POWER ONE'S SURROUNDINGS HAVE OVER ONE! WHY IS IT THAT AT TIMES I COMPLAIN OF THE LONELINESS? WITH NATURE AROUND ONE, WITH ONE'S BOOKS AND STUDIES, ONE CAN NEVER BE QUITE ALONE. THURSDAY, AUGUST 16TH. YESTERDAY EVENING, AS I WAS LYING IN MY berth READING, AND ALL EXCEPT THE WATCH HAD TURNED IN, I HEARD THE REPORT OF A GUN ON DECK OVER MY HEAD. Thinking it was a bear, I hurriedly put on my sea boots and sprang on deck. There I saw Johansen bareheaded, rifle in hand. Was it you that fired that shot? Yes, I shot at the big hummock yonder. I thought something was stirring there and I wanted to see what it was, but it seems to have been nothing. I went to the railings and looked out. I fancied it was a bear that was after our meat, but it was nothing. As we stood there, one of the dogs came jogging along from the big hummock. "'Then you see what you have shot at?' I said, laughing. "'I'm bothered if it wasn't a dog,' he replied. "'I spare it was, true enough, for so we called this dog. It had seemed so large in the fog, scratching at the meat hummock. Did you aim at the dog and miss? That was a lucky chance. No, I simply fired at random in that direction, for I wanted to see what it was.' i went below and turned in again at breakfast to-day he had of course to run the gauntlet of some sarcastic questions about his harmless thunderbolt but he parried them adroitly enough tuesday august twenty first north latitude eighty one degrees four point two minutes strange how little alteration there is we drift a little to the north then a little to the south and keep almost to the same spot But I believe, as I have believed all along, since before we even set out, that we should be away three years, or rather three winters and four summers, neither more nor less, and that in about two years' time from this present autumn we shall reach home. It was two years later to a day that the Fram put in at Schervo, on the coast of Norway. THE APPROACHING WINTER WILL DRIFT US FURTHER, HOWEVER SLOWLY, AND IT BEGINS ALREADY TO ANNOUNCE ITSELF, FOR THERE WERE FOUR DEGREES OF COLD LAST NIGHT. SUNDAY, AUGUST 26TH. IT SEEMS ALMOST AS IF WINTER HAD COME. THE COLD HAS KEPT ON AN AVERAGE BETWEEN 24.8 DEGREES FAHRENHEIT, MINUS 4 DEGREES CELSIUS, AND 21.2 DEGREES FAHRENHEIT, MINUS 6 DEGREES CELSIUS, SINCE THURSDAY. There are only slight variations in the temperature up here, so we may expect it to fall regularly from this time forth, though it is rather early for winter to set in. All the pools and lanes are covered with ice, thick enough to bear a man, even without snowshoes. I went out on my snowshoes both morning and afternoon. The surface was beautiful everywhere. Some of the lanes had opened out, or been compressed a little, so that the new ice was thin and bent unpleasantly under the snowshoes, but it bore me, though two of the dogs fell through. A good deal of snow had fallen, so there was fine soft new snow to travel over. If it keeps on as it is now, there will be excellent snowshoeing in the winter." for it is fresh water that now freezes on the surface so that there is no salt that the wind can carry from the new ice to spoil the snow all around as was the case last winter such snow with salt in it makes as heavy a surface as sand monday august twenty seventh just as Blessing was going below after his watch tonight and was standing by the rail looking out, he saw a white form that lay rolling in the snow a little way off to the southeast. Afterwards, it remained for a while lying quite still. Johansen, who was to relieve Blessing, now joined him, and they both stood watching the animal intently. Presently, it got up, so there was no longer any doubt as to what it was. Each got hold of a rifle, and crept stealthily towards the forecastle, where they waited quietly while the bear cautiously approached the ship, making long tacks against the wind. A fresh breeze was blowing, and the windmill going round at full speed, but this did not alarm him at all. Very likely it was this very thing he wanted to examine. At last he reached the lane in front, when they both fired, and he fell down dead on the spot." It was nice to get fresh meat again. This was the first bear we had shot this year, and of course we had roast bear for dinner today. Regular winter with snowstorms. Wednesday, August twenty-ninth. A fresh wind. It rattles and pipes in the rigging aloft. An enlivening change, and no mistake. The snow drifts as if it were midwinter. Fine August weather but we are bearing north again, and we have need to. Yesterday our latitude was eighty degrees, fifty-three point five minutes. This evening I was standing in the hold at work on my new bamboo kayak, which will be the very acme of lightness. Pedersen happened to come down and give me a hand with some lashings that I was busy with. We chatted a little about things in general, and he was of opinion that we had a good crib of it on board the Fram, because here we had everything we wanted, and she was a devil of a ship, and any other ship would have been crushed flat long ago. But for all that, he would not be afraid, he said, to leave her when he saw all the contrivances, such as these new kayaks we had been getting ready." He was sure no former expedition had ever had such contrivances, or been so equipped against all possible emergencies as we. But, after all, he would prefer to return home on the Fram. Then we talked about what we should do when we did get home. "'Oh, for your part, no doubt you'll be off to the South Pole,' he said. "'And you,' I replied, "'will you tuck up your sleeves and begin again at the old work?' Oh, very likely. But on my word, I ought to have a week's holiday first. After such a trip, I should want it before buckling to at the sledgehammer again. End of file 16